0: Hey, everybody, welcome to a new episode of Rob Observations. We are uh, in our fourth installment, episode number four. Thank you so much for uh, listening. Thanks for all the feedback you've been given on our uh, previous episodes. So excited that you guys are taking this journey with me. Rob Observations continues to uh, chart my path with comic books uh, of my youth, from my youth, the stuff that got me hooked. Uh, set me on a uh, path of consuming comic books, later creating comic books as I have for 34 years. Fortunate enough to be uh, making this my my living, my vocation, creating picture stories that have entertained people, that have entertained uh, you know fans all over the world. It's uh, just such a, a pleasure to to bring you guys comic books and now my obsession with talking about them is uh, reflected in this podcast of Rob observations. Thank you so much everybody. Uh, this week we were always headed in this direction but uh, maybe speeding it up just a little because as you know the world around us is hurting. There is uh, a lot of pain and a lot of uh, frustration, a lot of confusion in these very troubled times following the, uh, the, the death of George Floyd at the hands of these four police officers. And uh, Black Lives Matter, all of these different uh, issues and movements and protests have uh, gripped the nation. It's very complex. There are no easy answers, a lot of emotion. And I figured at this time, diversity in comics is something that I have always been uh, so proud to have participated in, and when I mean participated in, I mean they helped me grow as a person. They uh, entertained me, exposed me to a bigger world than the one that I was uh, used to as a kid. And again, through comic books, which, uh, which, which broadened my horizons, gave me different heroes and, uh, and characters and worlds, I experienced the streets of Harlem from Anaheim, California through the pages of Marvel comic books and Suicide Slum through the pages of DC comic books. I'm referencing both uh, Luke Cage, which started out as Hero for Hire in 1972 from Marvel Comics, later became Luke Cage Power Man, as well as Black Lightning from DC Comics. Both of these comics were launched... Uh, When I was a kid, the Bronze Era that I reference all the time because it's the era that I grew up in, the era that uh, produced so many exciting seminal comics, again, as we're going to discuss here. But really, I just want to go through uh, all the ways that comics helped expand my world and introduce me to different races and cultures that I otherwise would not have encountered through a very exciting lens, through the lens of comic books published by, primarily by Marvel Comics and DC Comics. So I grew up, I, I grew up in, uh, Anaheim, California, Orange County. Uh, I did not grow up in a great neighborhood, wasn't poor, wasn't, uh, you know, the projects of, of Orange County, but it wasn't the nicest neighborhood. It was just, it was, it was, a. Uh, I would even be stretching to call it a middle class neighborhood. My dad was a Baptist minister. Paul Liefeld was a Baptist minister. He had grown up in Detroit, Michigan, and had moved out here to start a ministry and build a church with my grandfather. And he was as gentle and kind a man as I could ever imagine. Uh, Just an outstanding father. Traits and attributes that I only wish that I had. Patience, kindness, uh, beyond imagining. Very, very kind, soft-spoken, easygoing, gentleman. He He's a very gentle man with a very hyperactive uh, son with a wild imagination and a bend for cartoons and for comic books. But we did not uh, grow up in a house that even... Uh, where, where, where race was an issue and let me just get this a- out of the way right here at the top I despise racism i uh, just cannot even imagine uh, evaluating someone on the color of their skin uh judging them mistreating them uh, using the color of their skin or their background to define them in any way it's it's a foreign concept to me thankfully it's not something that I have ever really ever struggled with. I wasn't raised in a home that race was an issue. And uh, I'm just so proud that my wife and I have raised kids who I truly believe do not see uh, colors. They just see people and they see love and they're doing their best just like the rest of us. And obviously we're all experiencing uh, kind of an uprising of emotion uh, over a lot of injustice that has occurred out there but I am telling you, in Anaheim, California, very white, uh, somewhat Latino in 1972, 73, 74. So white and Latinos, uh, but really, I, I did not know or encounter any any black families, black kids, uh, black people, um, and you know, that didn't say I didn't. That isn't to say I didn't crave it because I did. Uh, they were. Um, some of my heroes on television shows, sports heroes. We're going to get to Muhammad Ali, who was as big as you could possibly imagine, larger than life uh, in this period of my life. Uh, always, I mean, hugely impactful, hugely impactful uh, in the prime of his boxing career and quite possibly the uh, biggest uh, sports celebrity, the biggest, one of the biggest celebrities on the planet at the time. And we're going to cover him because th- th- we're, we're going to wrap this up with a tremendous Muhammad Ali uh, experience uh, in the world of comic books. But I'm giving you this background because, uh, you know, my 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 world was dull and white. Again, we weren't living high on the hog. We were on a pastor's salary, uh, but I had a good life, loved my childhood. Uh, like I said, I had those killer killer intersection of magnolia and broadway where there was the liquor store the stater brothers and the 7-eleven all which had plenty of comic books for me to rifle through and to experience and early on in 1975 i when, when my addiction to comics really takes takes over i encounter luke cage power man luke cage power man and he is a badass figure. Uh, Luke Cage was created and launched in 1972. He was the first black lead character to get his own book from Marvel Comics. So that's an answer to uh, an upcoming Jeopardy! question that you'll know from listening to this podcast. 1972, Luke Cage is featured in Marvel's first uh, comic book that has a black lead character and uh Luke Cage Heroes for Hire is the name of the comic. And Luke Cage is a uh, sent to prison where he is subject to experimentations that give him super strength and uh impenetrable skin that can bullets can bounce off of. And he eventually uh gets out of prison. I'm just really fast tracking the 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 bare bones origins of this uh this storyline And once he is out of prison, he becomes basically a uh, protector of the streets, a hero for hire. He takes jobs for money, protecting people, uh, righting wrongs. Uh, He's kind of a guardian angel of the streets of the city. But again, as we've said, he uh, gets paid for it. He, uh, you know, is is like a super bodyguard or a super guardian angel. And it's uh, the book went 49 straight issues on its own merits, just Luke Cage as the featured player. He uh, had a bright yellow shirt with an open chest down to his belt, uh, blue pants, yellow boots, and he had like a silver tiara uh, and a sweet afro. He's a great looking character. Did I mention that his belt was made... Of a giant chain. He had a chain for a belt. And he uh, could uh, hold his own with the the best of them. He battled the thing from Fantastic Four toe-to-toe. Even became a part of the Fantastic Four uh, in 1976 for a multi-part storyline. And he's heavily featured on the covers of each issue. He would join up with Marvel's, um, one of their top-tier team books called The Defenders. Fighting alongside the Hulk, Doctor Strange, Submariner, uh, Valkyrie, Nighthawk, he uh, was very prominent in the uh, 1970s. And uh, again, first lead character, first black lead character, carrying his own title for Marvel Comics. And when I say 49 issues, he actually went into on to be in a hundred plus. Uh, issues of his own comic he would be paired with a martial arts character called iron fist as of his 50th issue and the book got renamed power man and iron fist and uh it really was a fun book but power man on his own i encountered those books probably when he was in the 30s numbering was in the 30s his third year battling characters like Bushmaster, uh the harpoon uh piranha just fun character, always uh, arrogant, confident, uh, cocky, powerful, uh, putting people through walls. A lot of fisticuffs. Oh, he had a silver, you know, uh, bracelets as well. I mean, he's just a great looking character. And here, here, here's what I'm going to get to: kids, myself, I can speak for myself. We are drawn to what looks cool visuals matter there are no comic books without pictures and luke cage from the get-go shot out of the cannon as one cool looking visual again the open the, the yellow shirt with the open chest mostly bare chest down to you know i mean a lot of chest luke cage a lot of chest and uh, he w- he he had a uh, phrase called sweet christmas sweet christmas that he would say often now, he was born in the exploitation era. Marvel will not uh, deny this. They embrace it. That is, the, that is the era that he was forged in because this was a period where Marvel was chasing all sorts of diversity, not just with uh, a black lead like Luke Cage, but, I mean, there were monster comics, the Legion of Monsters. There were, you know... They did a book about Frankenstein. They did Tomb of Dracula horror titles. They did a ton of sci-fi titles. They launched a title called Marvel Premiere. They launched a title called Marvel Spotlight. Each of those books intended to give you one story um, per issue of a brand new character, be it the Torpedo, be it Dominic Fortune, you know, be it Caleb Hammer, a cowboy. They were out to experiment as much as possible because sales were down across the board. And they felt felt like they had nothing to lose, but to go big in terms of you know diversifying. They also, and we're going to get into this as well. Uh, offered a broad variety of martial arts comics that I also ate up. But I'm going to get specifically to Luke Cage, Power Man, right now, because the first character, the first comic book I really enacted enacted with, uh, encountered, really caught my attention and started my fever was. Uh, Fantastic Four, one forty-seven, which had Prince Namor, Submariner, Prince of Atlantis, flying out of the waters to battle the Fantastic Four, and he's very arrogant, very cocky, um, and and to be honest, had a hot temper. And I was drawn to these characters. I've looked back in recent years and going, well, who were my favorite, my fan favorite characters growing up? And I can tell you, in 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 order of how I encountered them, it goes Prince Namor, Submariner, Prince of Atlantis. Notorious hothead, quick temper, uh, cocky guy. Hercules, Marvel's Hercules, big swagger, arrogant, super powerful, cocky, hot-tempered. Luke Cage, powerful, cocky, hot-tempered, a lot of swagger. And then the guy that would kind of culminate, this would all culminate in, would be Wolverine. Hot-tempered, swagger, cocky. Also has six knives the pop out of his hands and he guts you with. So where the other guys are just gonna slug you with superpower, like Prince Namor and Luke Cage and Hercules, Wolverine was gonna gut you. He's gonna gut you and get you good. But uh Luke Cage falls right into that category. Uh this 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 kind of addiction I had. I, I was not a fan, little Robbie Liefeld was not a fan of the noble heroes as much as he was the cocky. Hot-tempered guys, okay? So let's just put that on the table. That's me just laying it bare, laying it out there. And uh, I-, I like Captain America. I like Spider-Man, Daredevil, Thor, fine fine heroes, Iron Man. But they just didn't uh, appeal to me as much as these uh, hot-tempered guys did. Because the hot-tempered guys would fly off the handle. Maybe you got a little more action. But they also look cool. Submariner looked cool. At this period also, Submariner had a blue tunic, open chest down to his navel. Okay, a lot like Luke Cage Power Man. Okay, so something in common there. I, I clearly liked, liked the way these guys rolled with their physicality, their macho, you know, chests, muscles, and and the action and the adventure. But Luke Cage looked cool. And he was my first kind of black superhero that I had a particular bend for. So if you can imagine, 1975, 1976 is uh, I am seven, eight years old over the course of that year. And, you know, I'm walking up the street in my in my Hang 10 shirt with my blue jeans. I'm a little chubby. I got a nice uh, bowl cut that I'm rocking. I got a candy bar in one hand and I got Luke Cage Power Man. And not just Luke Cage Power Man, he's also in the pages of The Defenders, and he's also in a key killer Fantastic Four story that got a lot of attention, that is, uh was very exciting, drawn by some of my favorites, George Perez, as I've mentioned several times, the Luke Cage comic book, had art by Billy Graham, Frank Springer, um, George Tusca, great artists, and uh, I believe Luke Cage has... Uh, Archie Goodwin, Tony Isabella, George Tuska, a c- couple of guys, uh, four or five guys involved in his origin, but for Marvel to roll the dice and put him out there, they were again investing in diversification, along with their monster books, their horror titles, their sci-fi titles. They went, hey, let's get let's let's get this out there. Let's get a dynamic hero of Harlem, which is what Luke Cage was. And as I said at the top. I was now in the streets of Harlem battling crime lords and drug pushers alongside Luke Cage, who was suave. The ladies dug him. He had the muscles, he had the power, he had the temper. He got things done. He's very practical, too. He got paid, he took contracts on. When he uh, was with uh, the defenders, and fighting alongside the Defenders, he kind he, he said, hey, I, I can't be wasting my time with you guys. This is costing me money. I'm, I'm not getting paid gigs. The Defenders actually created a stipend for him so that when he was fighting alongside them, he was getting paid. That seemed very practical to me. That seemed very down to earth. And uh, so Luke Cage, Power Man, was the first time that I really felt my world expand. Nothing in Anaheim, California resembled Harlem. And... Uh, the way that those streets were depicted, but again, from Shaft and some of the other black exploitation uh, movies that were out, I was, you know, familiar with seeing some of this play out on TV movies and some cop shows, but uh, not on the level that Luke Cage, Power Man was. Uh, the Power Man book quite often had covers by one of the best artists of the Bronze Age, uh, Gil Kane. Who was a master of dynamic poses and figure drawing, and again, I cannot underscore enough. I have a bust of uh, of Power Man of Luke Cage. I have a, uh, a a statue of him that I bought when the Marvel busts first came out a couple of years ago, uh, and and I mean, arms folded, sneering at you, kind of with a grin, and and he is just a great looking character, and he kept that 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 look, that that yellow shirt. And uh, chain as a belt again. You, you cannot underscore the the cool factor of a chain as a belt. Um, and you know what? So so uh, Roy Thomas, Archie Goodwin, and John Romita Sr. are the credited creators. I just wanted to make sure I nailed that on on Luke Cage, Power Man. You're probably going, hey man, that that that's three white guys that created a black character. Correct. Can't go back in time. Can't undo that. But uh, the great thing is there were several different black uh, uh, artists that, that, that and, and creators that that would bring him and his adventures to life along the way. But I, again, when he joined the Fantastic Four to replace The Thing, because The Thing quit the team. So it was Reed Richards, Human Torch, Invisible Woman or Invisible Girl, and Luke Cage. It was exciting. Great dynamic. Um, that was kind of the beginning of later on She-Hulk would join the Fantastic Four. There was always kind of a strongman slot. The thing was always in and out. But uh, Luke Cage, Power Man, killer character, great, great, great adventures. Um, When he was paired on the 50th issue with Iron Fist and the dynamic now became this strongman and this uh, martial artist, uh, Danny Rand, with his, you know, Iron Fist that... uh, was Iron Fist was created because Marvel had had such success with a book called Shang-Chi, The Master of Kung Fu. Now, that book also ran 150 issues, and uh, Shang-Chi was an outstanding kind of spy international thriller uh, as Shang-Chi sought to bring down the criminal exploits of his father, Fu Manchu and was armed with all sorts of British Secret Service agents, special forces in, in these great espionage tales. And this book was a huge hit. Again, riding the martial arts, kung fu, karate uh, trend that was so big in the United States at the time between Bruce Lee and the TV show uh, Kung Fu that was on, I think, CBS, NBC, I, I don't know which network I caught it on, but uh, The Rise of Chuck Norris was at this time. Martial arts, karate, kung fu, big deal. Mar- Shang-Chi was a huge hit. So they then rolled out Iron Fist. Iron Fist is Danny Rand in the mystical city of Kun Lun, uh, harnessing this power, comes back uh, using his fortune to, again, fight crime, fight the bad guys, and... So I think both the titles were suffering and whoever the exec was that decided to put Power Man and Iron Fist together in one book, it was a genius move, a stroke of just genius. Power Man, Iron Fist, 50. The first time Power Man and Iron Fist were sharing the book. Drawn by John Byrne, inked by Dan Green, just dynamic as all get out and you got this. Again, you, they, they mashed up martial arts, kung fu. ...with exploitation, and it was a formula for great success that would run for years. Now, he wasn't their only black superhero who got his own book. Uh, a character named Black Goliath, who was actually introduced years before, Bill Foster, uh, by Stan Lee and uh, Don Heck. Bill Foster was an assistant to Tony Stark and kind of left, did a few appearances and uh, really didn't revisit him until years later where they uh, gave him his own book as he uh, got a piece of the Pym Particles from Hank Pym, who was Ant-Man and Yellow Jacket and also Giant-Man for a period of time. And Bill Foster then becomes Black Goliath. Yes, there was a comic released in 1975 called Black Goliath. So now, again, open-chested, also, blue and yellow costume. They, they, they had a good thing going with Luke Cage and kind of twisted it a little, made a few tweaks. And Black Goliath, the thing is, Black Goliath could grow to 15 feet tall, super strength. Uh, Bill Foster, who again, as I said, was introduced by Stan Lee and Don Heck in the pages of Avengers, number 32, which is back in the 60s, would re, have a rebirth as Black Goliath under the pen of uh, of, of Tony Isabella and uh he he would run for i think uh gosh, not really sure how many issues it, it was not anywhere near as long lived as uh as as Luke Cage, but he was immediately black Goliath uh battled all sorts of uh you know menaces in his in his brief uh brief comic book run Adam smasher Vulcan I remember stilt man he'd then face off against stilt man again in the pages of the champions is where, where he transitioned and became part of a team he would also then appear in the defenders and then he would not be black goliath anymore he would just be giant man take the moniker giant man appear in a number of marvel comics a huge uh, 1979 storyline with the thing in his book called marvel two in one in a saga called Project Pegasus, this guy got the spotlight again. George Perez, John Byrne—you're gonna hear these names a lot—depicted his exploits uh, post his own Black Goliath comic book, but uh, he was again around enough to make a big splash. To a kid like me, who pulled every issue off the stands and was consumed. Black Goliath, I'm there. I'm giving you. I'm giving you my money. Black Goliath is cool. I'm taking him home with me. So I have Luke Cage, I have Black Goliath, now Black Goliath, five or six issues tops. As I said before, he was integrated into other Marvel comics. And funny enough, I haven't slowed down enough to to remind you that, so Bill Foster is portrayed in the Ant-Man movies uh, by Lawrence Fishburne of, you know, The Matrix fame. And he is in uh, Ant-Man 2 as Bill Foster, uh and and it was fun to again so where are we sourcing this from 1975 1975 is uh, now now he he's introduced in 1966 Avengers with Stan Lee and Don Heck but he's not he doesn't have superpowers yet he actually puts the pim particles to use and becomes giant man in 1975, which and that's the version that we encounter in Ant-Man 2. So again, we have our our tether. Mike Coulter was the star of Luke Cage on Netflix, part of the Defenders series of titles, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Daredevil, and, and, and I personally enjoyed the Defenders show on Netflix. I thought it was a lot of fun, tons of fun. Had a blast watching that show. But Mike Coulter uh, successfully very popularly portrayed Luke Cage from the page to the screen, the pages from the Bronze Age to the screen in the modern age in these last few years. And so you've got Bill Foster, you've got um, Lawrence Fishburne. And again, these characters are coming to life. But what they're doing for me is they're broadening my horizons. And I'm getting a bit of this black culture that I clearly crave and can't encounter anywhere at this point other than my um, comic books. Now, on TV, you're getting uh, the launch of of Good Times and the Jeffersons around this time, and we were glued to those sh- shows. Uh, the Liefeld family watched Good Times and Dynamite, and we watched the Jeffersons. Moving on up, uh, those were appointment television in my house, so we were getting the black culture pumped into our Anaheim abode via the TV set. And meantime, I'm getting the Streets of Harlem and black superheroes, and sweet Christmas from Luke Cage, and black Goliath, and, you know, in my comics collection, and I'm going to go back to, again, these characters looked cool to me. They um, sounded cool, looked cool, had great exploits, and took me on journeys I wouldn't have otherwise not experienced. The uh, cannot underscore, again, I am a nerd. I am, you know, not a cool kid. I am just a dork who digs comics, who just wants to continue to escape into these different worlds, and my addiction is severe. Uh, comics were a quarter. Quarters were not as hard to come by, and in fact, I would shake down the couches. All of you who have looked through the uh, the the cushions and underneath and gotten dimes and nickels and created enough change to go buy candy. I know now this age is all about Venmo and PayPal, but back then, man, quarters, nickels, dimes, pennies, they'd add up. And and for me, they added up to comic books. Luke Cage, Power Man, 25 cents. Black Goliath, 25 cents. Now, uh, wildly enough, in 1977, one of the writers that had made Power Man so successful for Marvel Comics, uh, a writer named Tony Isabella, who is just the sweetest guy, he would launch for DC Comics their first, their first comic book black solo lead. Okay, so now you've got two answers to trivia questions on Jeopardy. You've got Power Man, Luke Cage, Power Man, first black led Marvel comic first marvel comic to feature a black lead character the black lightning that that, that's in 1972 black lightning 1977 is dc comics first black lead superhero character tony isabella worked on both tony isabella created black lightning and uh italian sweet sweet guy very successful this book launched uh 1977 and it's one of those funny stories where we didn't go to L.A. a lot. L.A., to go up to L.A. for like a Saturday or a Sunday day trip was, uh, was was a real big treat back then. You were going, my mom would say, we're going to the city. We're going to the city. Now, we lived in a city, right, Anaheim, and we'd drive through 15 other cities to get to the city of Los Angeles. But it was the destination, the city. And in an area now called The Grove, uh, we drove up to that area. And we, uh, before, long before, it was uh, the Grove. And clearly 1977, because this is when I would encounter this, and and where I would get my comics from liquor stores and grocery stores and and 7-Eleven markets, uh, I had never encountered a newsstand. Orange County didn't have newsstands. Not in my area, not in Anaheim, not in Blaine Park, not in Fullerton. I did not see a newsstand. But we go to the Grove, uh, which was called Farmer's Market in 1977. And we parked the car and we wander over. And you guys, uh, the newsstand displays comics differently, more prominently. You know, they're, they're, they're not on a spinner rack. They're on, a, you know, elevated shelves. And I freaked out and I saw this comic book, Black Lightning. So, obviously, little Robbie, nine years old, is digging on his black heroes because I uh, ask my mom if I could get the money to buy Black Lightning. And uh, quarter goes a long way. Black Lightning is mine. Black Lightning was drawn by a very talented artist, Trevor Von Eden, who... Impacted the culture immediately with his amazing style. Uh, There there are some guys that hit the comic business with fully realized styles. And uh, you go, wait, this guy came out of nowhere. I never heard of him, but he's now drawing pages in front of me. I'm I'm seeing these pages he's producing, and there's no growth. It's just a fully realized style. And this was Trevor Von and Black Lightning was just badass. Badass character... Uh, uh, uh Black Lightning is Jefferson Pierce, and he uh, was part of an experiment, uh, had a, had basically a belt that, that gave him lightning powers that later they would explain, uh, integrated themselves into his system via some sort of super gene. And so now he had the lightning powers independent of the belt, but that is uh, how Black Lightning launched and look man lightning powers are cool the the Spider-Man cartoon my favorite character on the cartoon was Electro I loved electric powers I know he had that whack electric mask but electric powers zapping people with electricity very cool visual whether it's on film or whether it is on a comic book and in this case um, I was completely digging on Black Lightning in 1977 and another book that I'm buying now along with Luke Cage Power Man along with Iron Fist along with Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. Uh, now, the, the, the Kung Fu books also were so popular that Marvel put out a magazine uh, that, that was independent of the the martial arts. The, the Shang-Chi had his own comic book, uh, Master of Kung Fu. Iron Fist had his own comic book. And then there was the Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. Deadly Hands of Kung Fu was like a 70-page magazine that Marvel put out on newsstands, uh, two to three stories uh, every month, so, so you got three martial arts titles. And to go with your diverse, you know, black heroes, Black Goliath, Luke Cage. And again, let me tell you, the martial arts adventures in Shanghai would take me all over the world to Thailand, you know, to London, to Austria, all these different um, Hong Kong, all these different locales. A lot, a, lot, a lot of stuff going down in England. In the meantime, I've got The Streets of Harlem, The Grittier uh, Street Adventures of Luke Cage, and then uh, Black Lightning. He is uh, Jefferson Pierce, who's actually a very accomplished school teacher, a very smart scholar who becomes Black Lightning as his, as his uh, alter ego. He battles the evil of Suicide Slum. These were amazing adventures that expand my expanded my horizons and took me beyond, you know, uh, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Spider Man, Captain America. And as I said earlier, Black Black Lightning didn't have the the temper issues that a Luke Cage had. Neither did neither did Black Goliath slash Giant Man, but they were not as um, they weren't my favorite. I don't have a Black Lightning statue. I don't have a Black Goliath statue. Like I said, I have a I have a Luke Cage Power Man statue toys when you like something you like something uh, a great visual goes a long way and uh, I'm just going to tell you right now I uh, I love the features on on these characters thought they were handsome I like the hair whether it's the short afro the big afro um, you know it it, it 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 it's I was drawn to it that's all I can say I was drawn to it in the same way that I was drawn to Magic Johnson in the same way that I was drawn to Muhammad Ali Um, But I didn't have Adventures of Muhammad Ali yet or Adventures of Magic Johnson. But again, through the martial arts comics and through the uh, black superheroes, I was taken to worlds that were not otherwise accessible to to me in my um, existence in Anaheim, California. And when the X-Men launched, as I covered before Giant Size X-Men launched, they had an African superheroine named Storm, Aurora Monroe, also known as Storm. Beautiful black superheroine. And she, was, she escaped the streets of Cairo. She was a pickpocket, a thief to, to survive uh, until her mutant powers emanated uh, and she became this kind of uber-powerful mutant uh, that can create storms and, and control weather patterns. And one of the more powerful X-Men And, you know, uh, one of Luke Cage's Power Man uh, bad guys, one of his supervillains, a character named Moses Magnum, would go to the X-Men book for a two-part arc where he was a formidable foe. And that actually all takes place in Hong Kong, that X-Men story. So you've got a Luke Cage uh, villain now in Hong Kong terrorizing the X-Men. And uh, the great thing about the X-Men as I said, that I think made them so spectacularly popular was that there was a Russian, an Irishman, a Canadian, an African-American, a German. It, it really expanded and it took them on international adventures and that uh, really just took me away again to worlds that I wasn't experiencing in Anaheim. When I'm discussing the diversity in these Marvel titles, I'm I'm not here to apply any lessons, I'm telling you how I appreciated that the higher-ups, whether it was Roy Thomas, Jim Shooter, Archie Goodwin, Stan Lee, whoever in management took those big swings and decided to go beyond the standard fare. Uh, Whoever decided to make the Falcon uh, a key part of the Captain America title. So now you had a white superhero and a black superhero because when Kirby took over, prior to Kirby, It had happened prior, but it seemed like he put the Falcon even bigger into the picture. It was Captain America and the Falcon. And Sam Wilson, the Falcon, was another dynamic, great-looking character. Visuals matter. And they got white kids like me to cherish these black heroes. And what happens when you take these characters and you lift them up and they become some of your favorite characters and favorite heroes it further diminishes any chance that you're going to have any prejudice uh against people of color in fact when they're your heroes when you're drawing the falcon when you're drawing luke cage when you're drawing black lightning and they're your some of your favorite heroes it, it really goes a long way. and I believe Marvel Comics knew this, and I believe that kids like me uh, in, 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 in you know the the suburbs of the United States of America, it gave black kids a hero, which was so important and and gave them, again, when you when you, when you think about it, 1972 Luke Cage is the first comic book superhero black superhero because Marvel got to it five years before DC so Luke Cage broke through then Black Lightning in 1977 broke through I mean I can't imagine how amazing that was for uh, kids to have their own you know superhero that it wasn't just confined to Daredevil and Spider-Man and Iron Man and Thor but you now had characters that stood toe-to-toe to to them and and as I said uh, Luke Cage could throw down He, he throttled you know some of Marvel's biggest, boldest, brightest. He, he even goes to Doctor Doom to square a payment at one point um, to collect on, on on a bill that Doctor Doom stiffed on. This guy was a he was a badass, and I responded to him in the best possible way. And again, so now you can go well. Well, Mike Coulter played him on the show. Lawrence Fishburne played Black Goliath slash Giant Man, and you've got uh, Black Lightning. Which is played by Cress Williams on the CW. Going into, I'm not sure is it the third, is it the fourth season? The show is ridiculously successful, and again, these characters born in the Bronze Age have taken shape in the 2000s on your television screens, on your streaming services, on your uh, on your on your motion picture, uh, you know, adventures. Uh, obviously, the, the 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 Falcon has been a key part of the Marvel. Canon of the Marvel MCU, and he has, uh, you know, as portrayed by Anthony Mackie, has has been obviously ridiculously well received, uh, but by, by the audiences. And now, obviously, given the the the, the shield, he's going to take on the mantle of of a Captain America type, if not Captain America himself. And I'm, not, I'm not sure if they're going to have him adopt the moniker, but. You know these characters born of these times of the 70s uh, just huge props to marvel comics dc comics for creating these heroes they expanded my world gave heroes to um black kids to asian kids with shang chi and uh expanded everybody's horizons and to see these characters grow over the years to maintain their popularity to continue to expand their audience and I believe it has an effect. I believe it had an effect on me. And it made me value, crave the culture. Um, and and aspiring to be like those kids. As nerdy as I can tell you, uh, this practice was of me playing my own adventures. I did. I did it often. In the backyard of my house. Kind of had a wraparound, front yard, side yard, backyard. I would be Luke Cage. I would be Black Lightning. The Super Friends... Uh, For reasons unknown to me, but they had a Black Lightning-style character. It was DC Comics and a DC cartoon, but it wasn't Black Lightning. They called him Black Vulcan. He was Black Lightning, but not as cool. He had had no pants. He had like a a onesie that he wore and then bare legs and boots. But he had lightning powers, and he was cool. He just wasn't as cool as Black Lightning. Uh, The Justice League, in the comic book history of Black Lightning... After his own book ended, the Justice League would try and recruit him. Um, he later went, went uh, it's a famous cover with the Justice League trying to recruit Black Lightning and Black Lightning, you know, denying membership, not wanting to join up with him. Later, he would become part of a comic book called Batman and the Outsiders, which was a favorite of mine in the 80s, where he would team with another diverse international group, uh, Katana, who you know from Suicide Squad, but she started in Batman and the Outsiders. And, uh, and, and a European hero called Geoforce and uh, just great international uh, diverse cast, diversity. Comic books were the place where I experienced most of my diversity and where this kind of all ends up to me, the, the apex of where this was all headed was in 1978, DC Comics... Produces a giant-sized tabloid special edition. And if you're going, what's a giant-sized tabloid? It's like uh, 11 inches by by 17 inches, 12 by 17, 12 by 15. It's it's like Life Magazine made these big-sized magazines. Rolling Stone, about that size or bigger. <clears throat> Original storyline called Superman versus Muhammad Ali. And as far fetched as that sounds, I cannot tell you how amazing this story is and how well they pulled it off. And in a nutshell, Muhammad Ali, they introduce Muhammad Ali, they introduce his entourage, his world of boxing. He is reflecting absolutely where he's at in the society in 1978. And he is being uh, interviewed by Clark Kent, Lois Lane. They're looking for a story, a report on him, and he's helping inner city kids. And Aliens appear on Earth. Giant space force. Very powerful alien race. I'm not sure what the race of the aliens was. It doesn't matter. They were these giant, formidable, scary aliens. And they wanted to dominate Earth. But their terms were that they would spare Earth if Earth had a champion that could beat their champion. Simple storyline. Amazing comic. Amazing because it's written and drawn by the best illustrator in the history of the biz. I know I do a lot of hyperbole. There is no hyperbole uh, involved here. Neil Adams uh, hit in the late 60s, and he is still considered the preeminent Batman artist of all time. He did a seminal run on the Avengers, on Green Lantern, and on the X-Men. Green Lantern... uh, they expanded and gave Earth an additional Green Lantern named Jon Stewart, who was the first black Green Lantern, and nobody did him better than Neil. And again, that was in the late 60s, early 70s. And so John Stewart can't be left out here. He's nothing short of an amazing character who has only grown in stature over the years as he has become a bigger part of the Justice League cartoons. And I would love to see. A live action version of Jon Stewart I know all, all manner of actors have put in to play him from Tyrese to uh, some of the other names escape me but the uh, the, the, the character of Jon Stewart the Black Green Lantern is a fantastic and powerful figure and uh, Neil Adams depicted him and I'm going to tell you something Neil's style is rough and polished at the same time. It's slick and has kind of a a rendered edge to it. He is the best illustrator that this business has ever seen. Everyone else is still rising to his level. He is still cranking out amazing comics in his 70s. He has new books out all the time. He is a delightful man, and he has the right to be as confident and arrogant as he could ever be. He's not, but he should be, he could be, because he is so ridiculously good. And I maintain that Superman versus Muhammad Ali is the single best illustrated comic book ever produced. The best single, page to page, cover to cover. The detail, the renderings, the faces, the emotion, the action, the layout, the design is so tremendously crafted, beautifully illustrated. He's an illustrator. He's an illustrator who tells comic book stories on, on on par with nobody in the business. This isn't like Jack Kirby, who's um, an amazing storyteller, cartoonist, costume designer. Neil is the guy you want to draw your portrait. He's, it'll look just like you. It'll look like the best version of you. And that's what he does with, he does with Superman and Muhammad Ali. So aliens show up. Superman thinks he's the natural choice. But Muhammad Ali says, no, you're not an Earthling. As much as I dig you, man, you're from Krypton. And whoever should defend Earth should be a human, should be an Earthling. And Superman is so incensed by this. He's like, you've got to be kidding. You couldn't touch me. And he goes, you're cheating. You've got superpowers. What if we got conditions where I would box you and under a scenario where you're more equal, your powers are neutralized. And they figure out a red sun kind of scenario. And this gets you your first battle. This gets you Superman versus Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali says, I'm too good. I'm too good in the ring. I'm too skilled. I'm I'm, I'm such a great fighter. You, You stand no chance against me. And Superman is, you know, kind of taken aback. He's never had anybody speak to him like this. And he agrees. And they box. And Muhammad Ali destroys him just takes him down for the count and uh, Superman is out and now the stage is set that Muhammad Ali will battle the alien uh, champion and it's all a elaborate ruse to take Superman out of the picture the aliens focus on Muhammad Ali and walls Muhammad Ali is going to battle their champion, who, if memory serves, is named Hunya. Hunya. Gigantic alien. If you think that this sounds like the plot to Space Jam with Michael Jordan in the 90s, it is, except it was done here first in 1978. Muhammad Ali sets up to battle Hunya, and there is a great page where he does his classic taunt. I'm a whoop ya! I'm a whoop you, all whoop you, yeah, yeah, you can't touch me. The, the, all the I'm going to spank you. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to embarrass you. All the jargon that kids like me grew up enjoying so much, and Neil nailed it. And, and, I mean, these are just, it's almost like he got Muhammad Ali to to pose uh, and sit for all of these panels. They're spectacular. I, I have to tell you, last year at a convention, I never see original art from this book. But a page came up, and I absolutely had to have it, I, I my, literally, my heart skipped a beat. I could not believe I was holding an original page from Muhammad Ali, Superman, with Muhammad Ali and Superman, a great page with them together on it, and the aliens, and I worked my magic in order to take that page home, which I did, and it is the pride of my collection. And so Superman then is dispatched to defeat the to defeat the fleet, so Muhammad, Muhammad Ali and Superman had this terrific plan. They executed it, they take down the aliens, And at the end, great double page splash, tabloid. I mean, it's like two posters when you open it up. That's so big. Muhammad Ali says, Superman says, you're the greatest. And Muhammad Ali says, no Superman, we're the greatest. It is such an uplifting comic. But you get Muhammad Ali putting Superman down. And again, culturally, Hats off to DC Comics for allowing that comic to exist, for allowing that imagery to exist, for allowing uh, a great American boxer, the biggest, maybe the biggest celebrity in the world at the time, the Michael Jordan of the sports world, the Tiger Woods of that period, to put Superman on the floor. And a scenario that involved making them equals, and then on that equal footing, Muhammad Ali the superior. So... These are the books that I cherished, that I carried, that I coveted, um, the heroes uh, that I was exposed to in my little existence in Anaheim, California, uh, where I was, through comic books, exposed to bigger worlds, different cultures, civilizations. Uh, Again, I've, I've, I've really, so much of it was either the martial arts or the streets of Harlem you know, with these uh, the the prominent black superheroes, but they were uh, very proud additions to my comic book consumption and expanded my world. Gave me heroes uh, attributed, I believe, to me not uh, seeing color. I just saw heroes. I just saw good guys. Um, guys. And figures that I aspired to be, there was. Uh, I, I know I've I've left the women out here, but there was uh, in the in the pages of Power Man, there was a badass uh, private eye detective who became more prominent, named Misty Knight, who would partner with Colleen Wing, and they would become the Daughters of the Dragon, same dynamic as Power Man and Iron Fist. So there wasn't as much female um, representation in terms of diversity but the fact that there was so much of it uh offered to us kids and the worlds that it exposed me to and the uh expansion of my horizons that it that it offered me and again that's through the language of comic books an art form that has uh just expanded me at a young age and gave me heroes that I never even knew I needed and craved. And again, you know, little Robbie Liefeld in his bowl cut, in his loose-fitting jeans, and his too-tight uh, hang-tin shirt would would power down that Twinkie and then get to acting out, you know, Luke Cage battling Bushmaster. Or, uh, you know, Moses Magnum. Or the Stiltman. And... I don't get there without comics. I don't get there without comics. One of my favorite TV shows during that time was SWAT. If you remember Kids of the 70s. (singing) Great theme song. Robert Urich. uh, uh, I forget the lead actor's name but SWAT was uh, must see television for the two seasons it was on and there was Deke. Deacon. He was uh, kind of the badass second in command. You always got a black lead character in these adventure shows, but they were a complimentary; they weren't the main lead. And then we got the, the, uh, the comedies, as I said, with with Good Times and Jeffersons, which would open the do- door for. The Cosby Show and whatever happened with Bill Cosby doesn't change the fact that the period that he was on TV, he dominated it. He was the number one. And when we revisit this, which we will, it'll 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 uh, continue where I get into the comic business. I am able to be uh, a success on the level that I can start my own company, which I do, and I open my own studio. And there is a wonderful array of diverse talents. And at the peak of my studio called Extreme Studios, we had 65 on-site employees. I'm 24 years old and I'm living the dream. A dream that I believe began in these pages of these diversified comics, the, the, the you know comic books of my youth that, that featured all these diverse heroes because 60% of my company and my staff were uh diverse and we had uh japanese chinese korean indian we had black we had um latinos it was my dream i would be giddy to go into work every day i couldn't believe all manner of uh cultures that Uh, I I had hired at my kind of dream studio and all of the amazing art and adventures that we created, and that was an amazing journey that went for the better part of five years. But guys named Chap Yap, and Sam Liu, and Jeff Matsuda, and Danny Mickey, and Norm Ratman, and Chuck Jones, and Dietrich Smith, and Marat Michaels, and Dan Frega. And Pat Lee, just to name a few, amazing talents under one roof on a company uh, that I had built creating diverse styles, stories, adventures. And I mean, I literally was like, this is my comic book dream come true. I, I, under one roof, the assembly of diverse talent that I had and the pictures that I have been digging up of our times together, our Christmas parties, our dinners, our, our giant sessions out in the bullpen. We basically had almost the entire 10th floor of a building in Anaheim that overlooked uh, Angel Stadium. But these are stories for another time, but I don't get there unless I am exposed to all the diversity and all the culture. Uh, again, I, I really white bread, milk toast upbringing, loving family, not... A shred of racism or bias, uh, discrimination, did I know in my house and under my roof. And, uh, you know, we were loving, accepting, curious of other cultures. And my journey of diversity was really a result, again, of the decision of these comic companies to make Diverse Comics and create Black Lightning, and Luke Cage Power Man, and Black Goliath, and the Daughters of the Dragon, and the Sons of the Tiger, who I didn't cover, and Iron Fist, and Shang-Chi, and the Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. And in those Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, they would give you like 10 to 15 pages learning jujitsu with jujitsu masters, and judo masters, kung fu masters, karate masters. It was fantastic. It was amazing. Such a great time. Uh, I just, uh, I am hopeful that there is healing on the other end of this. It was time to talk about diversity in comics. And, uh, you know, we, we having Power Man launch in 1972, having Black Lightning launch in 1977, having Black Goliath launch in 1975, those are the seeds that plant all that came, all that have followed, all of the diverse titles that are out there today uh, started because of these titles you got to be first. Somebody's got to be first. Marvel went first. DC soon followed. And comics expanded and made it more exciting and more diverse and more cultural culturally relevant to kids like myself. Um, and I am so thankful for those comics and the way they opened my eyes and the journeys and the adventures they took me on. I hope that we as a country can unite, can love each other, can uh, lift each other up, and can become united, get to a better place. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want a better place? I'd have to question why you wouldn't. I'm going to assume that there is good in people, that people, we don't want to see color. We want to see people. And to my uh, black friends, and uh, I I wish you all love during this time, this difficulty. I've seen the shirts, the signs, Legalize uh, blackness broke my heart. Uh, a beautiful woman was holding her baby, and she's, you know, wearing that shirt. I get the message. I understand what it's saying. I think we can get to be to a better place. Um, it, it, we shouldn't. I, I'm shocked that there are elements of being black is not a crime. Sentiments that 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 is something that we have to overcome is. Unbelievable to me, but I am up for it. I am up for the change. I'm going to look to tackle it in my, my own work. Uh, I have Snake Eyes number one coming out. The reason I'm telling you this, Snake Eyes Dead Game number one comes out in July. It really only features at this point three members of the G.I. Joe team: Snake Eyes, Scarlet, and Roadblock. And I love drawing Roadblock, and I I haven't also mentioned that when I launched my own company, two of my characters at my flagship title were Black Leads. The Youngboy number 1, which sold a million copies, has Sentinel, who is my uh, black superhero in a red and silver exoskeleton, charging right at you. And on the flip cover is Chapel, my weapons master. On the uh, on the other side, two two different covers, flip covers. That was Youngblood number one, and uh, I was at the Golden Apple when Youngblood number one launched, and I cannot tell you uh, the groundswell, the support that I got from the black community. And I won't cover it here. I'll just, I guess this is kind of an unprepared tease, but when you look up and you see Eze, uh, looking back at you, the late Eze. Eric is is looking at me and tell me tell me how much he loves my comics and loves my work and I am blown away by this and I saw that we can unite that um you know that that uh that one of the key components you know of of the rap world one of the seminal seminal uh figures in the rap world is is standing across from me telling me how much he loves my comic books and i am telling him how much that i am in love with his with his music i mean uh that's what comic books and music and the arts can do and i am reminded of this as i close in this difficult time we are emerging out of this pandemic i read early over and over and over and over again you saw the memes you saw the signs the postings just remember that in these difficult times, it was the art that you turned to. It was artists. It was music. It was television. It was films. It was comics. And to have e from NWA looking at me, telling me how much he loves my comics, and I'm telling him how much I love my, art, my, my his music. That's art. That's just the meeting of minds. There's no color there. It's just art. And art is what unites us. I pray that it can help. I think there's going to be tremendous art that comes out of this. I am so thankful for the art that created these books that diversified my life and broadened my cultural horizons as a kid. Thank you for joining me on another Rob's Observations. We're going to take more journeys here real soon. Be back for new episodes next week. Stay safe. Stay out of trouble. Thank you for spending your time with me. I am on Instagram at, at Rob Leifeld Blue check. except no substitutes. I say that because there are fake accounts and I'm on Twitter at Robert Liefeld with the blue check at Robert Liefeld. There are more fake accounts on Twitter than there are on Instagram but look for the blue check. Check me out. I'm all over social media. I love talking to you guys, interacting with you. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. Take care.